Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. All right, 960theref listeners, we're back. Episode 21 of the crossover. We can drink. How about that? Oh, wow. Finally, we're we're legal. That's right. Uh, right here on 960theref.com. And uh, we are very thankful for you guys for listening to us. You can always find us, obviously, on 960theref.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes if you so choose. Just makes it a little easier for you as you will always get every episode when it is uploaded. And that might even mean a little bit early uh, for some of you as, uh, you know, we usually post this to social and things like that at about 10 o'clock the day after we record. But uh, it gets uploaded a little earlier than that. So you might even get a little bit of a jump on things. But Sam Franco, Chris Brame along with you. And the football season just keeps rolling along. I tell you what, we spend so much time in the offseason wishing for football to get here and then it comes and you know we're already in what week four in college football week three in the NFL so uh, things uh, definitely go very very quickly and we're recording this on Thursday the Thursday before Georgia hosts Mississippi State so if uh, when you're listening to this if you watched the Rams and 49ers for Thursday night football or South Florida against Temple in the college ranks I'm just going to go ahead and preemptively apologize yeah condolences and, uh, I mean, what are you thinking with the Thursday night game? You may have already been watching, but you've got uh, two lousy quarterbacks and two rookie head coaches. I'm going to guess there's not going to be a lot of scoring. But did you notice that there's not really a – the slate of Thursday night games this season for college isn't really that great. And do you think that, that maybe college football teams are starting to realize that with the NFL being on Thursday nights now and trying to kind of own that night, maybe college is backing off of it a little bit. Absolutely, and I think that is a uh, that's another side effect of those lousy NFL games on Thursday nights. Not only are those games bad, but now we're not getting good college games anymore too. And yeah, I, I 100% think that's the reason why. Because if you're a if you're a, an ACC team or an SEC team or you know any any team from these conferences that used to play on Thursday night. Uh, you know, I, I, the motivation for doing that is to be able to get the attention that comes with you're like this one big game on a Thursday night. Right. And now that you know the audience is going to be eaten alive because as bad as those NFL games are, people, people still watch. People still watch. It's fantasy football. It's gambling. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. so many reasons why people are watching despite them being bad games. Right. So, yeah, I think it's ruined the Thursday night schedule. Now, like Tech and Miami were supposed to play on Thursday night in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but they moved it to Saturday because of the, the reshuffling of the schedules right. that had to be done with the Hurricanes, but um, the real Hurricanes, not the, just the nickname of the team. <laughs> right. but, um, but, yes, I 100% think that that has uh, led to – the um the kind of watering down of the college game on yeah Thursday so nights. like now what you're getting are American athletic conference games as opposed to like you know because it seemed like every year there'd be even if it was Mississippi State playing Kentucky 
there'd be a couple SEC schools that would play each other on a Thursday night, but not anymore. And yeah, I think that's the NFL games that have uh, scared everyone away. Well, let's just hope the NFL doesn't come for the Mac on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Oh, uh, I know, right? Uh, I'm sure that'll actually happen coming down the line because why not? The NFL is just this giant vacuum that wants to suck everything into it, but. That's another story for another day, and we'll talk some NFL a little later on in this podcast as the Falcons are 2-0 and after opening up Mercedes-Benz Stadium with a win, very convincing win over the Green Bay Packers, but it did come at a cost in losing uh, Vic Beasley. So we'll uh, get to that coming up. But first, Georgia, Mississippi State. Going into the season, this probably didn't feel like it was going to be as big of a matchup as it is, but quite frankly, the way that these two teams have played I think the winner of this game probably has a pretty strong claim to be the second best team in the SEC behind Alabama. Yeah, and I think that's how the winner of this game will be positioned by the uh, in the national narrative too. So the stakes are uh, really high. The good news for Georgia is they don't play in the same division as Alabama. I mean, for Mississippi State, they can win the game and be considered the second best team in the SEC, but they still got to try and get ahead of Alabama to get into the SEC championship game. Whereas if Georgia wins it, then you're thinking we might've just played and beaten the best team we're going to face the rest of the season. Right. I mean, at Auburn would be the, the other candidate, but, and it's not that Georgia is just going to cake rock through the rest of the schedule. I mean, and they're not, but uh, Mississippi state, from what I've seen better than Tennessee, better than Florida, better than South Carolina. Uh, you know, I know Vandy and Kentucky are excited about the seasons that they're having so far. Both are three and O, but um uh, but, I, you know, Mississippi State, just what they did over uh, LSU has mm-hmm. been uh, more impressive than anything I've seen out of any of those other teams. Yeah, and I mean, Georgia did exactly what they needed to do against Stanford, took care of business, played a, a very good game, got Nick Chubb rolling again, which was very important. You know, you, they let Sony Michelle rest to kind of get recovered from that ankle injury that he sustained against Notre Dame. So hopefully he's full tilt coming up for the game here against Mississippi State. But you mentioned it, and we'll talk about that for a minute. What Mississippi State did to LSU was unbelievable. And Dave and I kind of talked about this on the morning show a little bit. It's just astounding over the years how LSU has failed to get a quarterback. You know, I mean, you go back to a Jamarcus Russell. or Zach Mettenberger was a good quarterback, but I don't think he lived up to the expectation that might have been put on him, especially because – he had Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry on his team, and still right. they weren't able to, to be that great. So, you know, you go back to Jamarcus Russell, maybe Matt Mock. I mean, and he wasn't even that great either, but he did lead them to a national championship. But just it's crazy how LSU has not been able to, to recruit and do well at the quarterback position. And when Mississippi State made their entire game plan to, you know, stop the run and make LSU beat them with the pass, I mean – Darius Geist didn't have a great game. I think 70-something yards for him on the ground. And he's going to miss this coming weekend for LSU because he got hurt in that game. But Mississippi State tried to make uh, LSU one-dimensional, and they did. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. LSU's running with a transfer from Purdue playing quarterback uh, for them. And the way Purdue's cooking right now, I don't even think Purdue would have Danny Etling back. But he's starting at LSU. And, I mean, another school, too, and it hadn't affected them, obviously. But, I mean, it's it's strange that even Alabama – hasn't really been able to land a blue chip quarterback uh, either. And, you know, they have now, I guess, with this two at Tagaviola uh, from Hawaii right. is, uh, is one. But between LSU, Alabama, I mean, look, even what Florida's been going through now, to have all those schools as well as they recruit everywhere else but not be able to land 
a uh, you know a strong quarterback. Yeah, I mean what that's been a, a mystery for LSU. But you know, bottom line is they they just lost to Mississippi State by the biggest margin of defeat that they've ever had in the history of that series, thirty points. And I just go back and look like you hired Ed Orgeron to be your head coach. What did you expect? You can't you can't make that higher than lose at Missis, uh, Mississippi State by thirty and be surprised at the result. How worried, I guess, should Georgia fans be by that result? I think a lot. I don't think LSU is that great. I think they're old and they've been this way for a while. A school that is much more hyped because of the numbers that they bring in and recruiting in terms of the star ratings and things like that. But they haven't really been able to turn it into long term success as of late. So. I don't necessarily think you can read too much into it. It was a home game for Mississippi State. They're a very good football team, and I'm not saying Georgia shouldn't be concerned about this weekend, but I also think that there's a little bit of fool's gold there. I agree with you. I mean, if you look at LSU, they lost uh, as much to the NFL draft last year on defense as even Alabama did. They're very young. Uh, Arden Key did play last week, but he was on a snap count because he hasn't played or even practiced. Uh, all year so I mean he's not really in shape just yet they lost Leonard Fournette yes Geis is terrific but they lost a ton on offense that is a that is a young team if you want to be fair for a second I guess to Ed Orgeron but still I mean you'd like to think that even in a bit of a rebuilding mode you'd be able to at least stay within 30 points of um of Mississippi State and they and they didn't I know man in in my way of thinking and I know it's odd but I I loved when that Mississippi State blew LSU out by mm-hmm. by 30 because I think it puts Georgia in a better spot this weekend where yes uh, maybe State is getting a little bit overrated based on that they are very good they're going to be hearing a lot about how you know this week on campus about how great they are right and how, yeah yeah and I think it, it's still it's a much much bigger game for Georgia than it is Mississippi State if they come here and lose this weekend it's almost like well they're supposed to because it's Mississippi State playing at Georgia and they've got still you can't take away what they did last weekend against LSU so I mean I think there's there's still a lot of focus on that and not putting that in the past you get Georgia's attention a little bit more it does, I think, inflate Mississippi State a little bit. So, it's uh, to me, it does. It sets up well for Georgia. And on top of that, the Dogs had to play Samford last week. Whereas, I mean, Mississippi State was playing LSU. Even though, as it turned out, it was – I mean, the heck, they ended up having a, a bigger margin of victory than we did. So, And look, I think LSU, as we mentioned, it might have been a little overhyped. And Georgia's defense so far has been one of the best in the country. And I don't think LSU's defense stacks up. So – I think that Georgia on defense is going to be able to do a lot better with Mississippi State's offense. It's not necessarily the same as what Notre Dame wants to do because, you know, Dan Mullen runs with, I guess, quarterbacks that are, are kind of bigger. He, he likes the, the that bigger body type and, and guys that can really kind of just fall forward and gain you yards and things like yeah, that. Fitzgerald's whereas, big. Right, whereas Wimbush wasn't that big, but – regardless of that, you would think that Georgia, because they were so successful in spying Brandon Wimbush with Roquan Smith, you would think they would do something very similar to that against Mississippi State. And if Roquan continues to play as well as he's played all season, then Nick Fitzgerald's going to have a very, very tough go of things on Saturday. Uh, yeah, and even I think the success that Georgia mostly had against Taylor Lamb. Um, granted, I mean, Appalachian State's biggest plays were Taylor Lamb runs, but uh, for the most part, uh, the Dogs' defense did keep them bottled up. And look, I mean, it was 31 nothing before 
Georgia's uh, you know backup offense gave those two late picks away, and Appalachian State was able to put some points on the board at the end of it. So yeah, the success Georgia had against Lamb and, and Wimbush also lead me to feel you know good about uh, Georgia's chances this weekend. But uh, you know here here it is again. I think the question everybody has about Georgia. Uh, is you know can Georgia finally win a big game with the nation paying attention to it this uh, Saturday night? And I'm telling you, more people are going to be focused on Georgia Mississippi State this weekend than we're focused at least nationally on when Georgia went to Notre Dame a couple weeks ago because that was the same weekend that Oklahoma played at Ohio State. And uh, you know, going back to it, feel like 08 was the year it started. Georgia had a great year in 07, finished number two in the country, and then came back in in 2008, was the preseason number one team, got blown out at home by Alabama, uh, got blown out in that game at Florida, and then lost at home to Georgia Tech. So, I mean, starting in 2008 up until last year, I mean, the Dogs now at Sanford Stadium are 6-9 and nine in their last 15 games at home against ranked opponents. And, you know, that's, that's another corner that needs to be turned for this program moving forward. So if Georgia doesn't win Saturday night with everything really lining up in its favor, they're at home, it's Mississippi State, State's off a huge game against LSU, Georgia got to play Sanford last week. But if the Dogs don't win that game, then it's just, where are we? Mm-hmm. We're just in the same place that we've uh, been. So, you know, the good news is Georgia is one for its last one at home against ranked opponents with that win over Auburn last year. But still, I mean, six out of the last 15, and I believe three of those are actually against Auburn. So mm-hmm. even half of those six are against Auburn. But, um, you know, the dogs got to they got to start flipping that script and uh, and controlling Sanford Stadium again. And that uh, and that's that that hopefully will start Saturday. Oh, yeah. If the Notre Dame game was that first real marquee win for Kirby Smart then yes, he needs to get this one this week as well to, as you were talking about there, buck that trend and kind of get things going back in the right direction because you've got to hold serve at home. Sure. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, and the Notre Dame game was big. I mean, that was a road win. And for the first time since 09, Georgia won on the road as an underdog straight up. Uh, but winning that game at Notre Dame is what sets up this game to have such national significance and now really makes it, be- because it's at home and because of what Georgia's record has been, over the last, what, nine seasons now mm-hmm. against ranked opponents at home. And really, it's not even just at home. I guess you could take that and extend it out on the road. But, you know, on the road, you can live with. But at home, to be, you know, that far below 500, you'd like to win more than your fair share of those. And Georgia's below it right now. And that's, you know, hopefully that can turn. And if the dogs are able to win it again Saturday night, then, you know, then you're like, all right, we're two for our last two. You know, unfortunately, last year, the Auburn game for Georgia wasn't that big. Because Georgia, what at that point wasn't having a great season, but here Georgia is now three and zero with a chance to get in the top ten and be viewed as, you know, the number two team in the SEC. Mm-hmm. It's a weird game too, just because when you look at at the way that the the spread has kind of jumped up and down. I mean, it, it's it's not been a, a, a steady number. It's kind of up and down and kind of moved around a lot, which kind of tells you that the public might be going one way but the Sharps might be going another way out in Vegas. And it's also weird because everybody I've talked to kind of behind the scenes or whatever that covers this team and things like that, just kind of asking them, you know, beating around the bush or or just shooting the breeze. It's like, what do you think about this game? I've gotten a lot of different answers. You know, there there are some people that think Georgia can win this game by two touchdowns. There are some people that think it's going to be really tight. There are some people that think this is a matchup nightmare for Georgia. So there isn't really a consensus, which makes this game very – odd and, and a game that really 
seems like could go any different way. Well, it's I guess it's that classic moment of like, do you finally want to say trust Georgia in this situation? And then if the outcome is Mississippi State wins Saturday night, then you like think to yourself, well, well, I should have known it was coming because this is what we've seen out of Georgia for the last decade, not being able to win these big games. Just as soon as the country starts to pay attention to the dogs, they end up wetting the bed. Um, but I think Georgia's going to win, and I hope I'm not sitting here next week thinking, well, I should have known better. I'm the one that said the dogs are 6-9 and nine in their last 15 games at home against ranked opponents, so it was staring me right there in the face. But I just think there's a lot that uh, lines up for Georgia to be able to pull this thing out on uh, Saturday night. Now, you know, when that number was up at 7, I don't know if I'd be willing to lay that much, right. but a lot, when I looked yesterday, I haven't looked so it's far. It's a today. five and a half right it's a five now. Five and a half now. As yesterday, we're okay. Yesterday it had gotten down back down to like four, four and a half points in that territory, maybe. But it is weird because it is a battle right now of Joe Public. Joe Public likes Mississippi State, but the sharps appear to be laying it on the line with Georgia. So we'll see who wins that tug of war. Well, there are a reason that they're the sharps. So let's yeah. just hope that yeah. they uh, they hold true and. I agree with you. I think Georgia's going to win this game, and call me crazy, but I think it's going to be a little more comfortable than a lot of people think. I just think Georgia's defense is going to be able to stymie whatever Mississippi State wants to do. The big key is going to be, can Georgia's offensive line give Jake Fromm enough time to throw the ball? Can they block for the running backs? And and I should have reversed that order because the run game needs to be the key here. Georgia needs to keep Mississippi State's offense off the field, and hopefully the run game can set up the play-action pass because – throughout Georgia history that's what the most successful Georgia teams have been able to do is run the football to set up that play action pass so yeah. hopefully that will be the case all right we'll switch gears now over to Capital City and this past Sunday night where the Atlanta Falcons opened up Mercedes-Benz Stadium I know there have been other events in there Atlanta United's played some games there were some preseason games but and some college games but in terms of the first regular season Falcons game they opened that thing in style with a big win over the Green Bay Packers and anybody that seemed to be worried about Steve Sarkeesian and his ability to keep this offense rolling like Kyle Shanahan had it rolling, this game seems to tell you that things are, are going to be okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess some people were worried about that first game of the season. I felt like the Bears, it was going to be tough for Atlanta and uh, uh, game number one. Now, you're not a little bit worried, though. Atlanta did only kick a field goal in the second half on offense. That's true. Yeah. When they got up 24, I started, hey, that's almost as big a lead as they had in that uh, that other game. Well, other than that, did, didn't the, uh, the Desmond Trufant touchdown was in the, was in the third well, quarter? Well, yeah, but I'm saying on offense. Saying, oh, okay, okay. So you're saying after that. That's right. That's yeah, right, so that's in right. the second half. But, um, yeah, I mean, but they had clearly switched their game plan to a much more conservative. <laughs> we're not going to do the same thing that happened in the Patriots game. We're actually going to run the football here and try and milk the clock. Yes. Right. Get out of town with the, uh, with the win. But no, I mean, I've got Atlanta right now. Number one in my NFL power ratings, their yards per play differential is right now six and a half to 5.1, which is a bigger margin than it was even last season when mm-hmm. Atlanta led the NFL. And ESPN also has them number one right now. In that margin too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at I think you name a team in the league uh they're playing on a neutral field I don't I can't think of a team in the NFL that if the two were playing on a neutral field that I would think that they were going to beat Atlanta no I think that they are uh, playing about as good a football as as they played last year maybe even better in this Packers game I know that they blitzed the Packers in the playoffs last season but the way that the offense operated in the first half and I mean especially that first drive Dave and I talked about it on the morning show this week the execution on that first drive from Steve Sarkeesian's offense was a thing of beauty. 
Yeah, I mean the offense does. Uh, it is nice. It it. it I mean, it looked like at least against the Packers, the what we saw out of the Falcons versus Packers twice last season, it did look pretty much the same. Where Green Bay was just really struggling to uh, uh, to stop them. I will say this: I mean, defensively now, and maybe it's Aaron Rodgers, but to just to to show you how good that guy is, he threw for 350 yards with both of his starting offensive tackles not playing in the game. Jordy Nelson ended up getting hurt. So, yep. I mean, again, this guy's just surrounded by a bunch of backups oh, yeah. and has just a, a heck of a game. And he, he's kind of been doing that for a while now. And, and yeah, he is a very, very impressive and, and a very, very good player. But uh, the big thing, I think, for the Falcons on the defensive side is that Vic Beasley injury and how long is he going to be out? And, and do the Falcons do anything to – maybe fill that void a little bit. Dwight Freeney is still out there. He's talked about how he might want to come back to the to the Falcons, and I think that'd be a good stopgap signing, and quite frankly, I thought they should have signed him before the season anyway just for depth, but if they do end up bringing a guy like that back, that would be a solid move in my opinion, and I know that they have some other guys that they want to give some looks. Tack McKinley will probably play a little more because of this, but still, I think that Vic Beasley's injury, especially the motor that that guy has played with the past you know year and a few games into this season, has been incredible. So the Falcons are definitely going to miss him. There's no question. Right. I mean, the, the good news is if he's really going to miss a month, which would put him on track to come back for that game at New England, I mean, he's going to miss Sunday's game against the Lions, which yep. is big because they've got Stafford. I mean, you'd like to definitely be able to throw some heat on him. But then you've got the Bills and Dolphins at home with a bye week in between. So because the bye week is early in the season, potentially now Beasley would miss one less game than he would have if he had gotten injured at some other point in the season. So, I, you know, I guess if you're going to lose a guy like Beasley for about that length of time, this is actually the perfect time to have it uh, to have it happen because I think even if Atlanta were to lose Sunday at the Lions they come back and they beat uh, they, uh, the Dolphins and Bills at home and they come out of those first five games at four and one that's where I, I thought they they needed to be at the bare minimum at the beginning of the season because the schedule's definitely going to ramp up after that uh, because after that then you've got those three straight road games you got to go to New England the Jets and then play Carolina mm-hmm. um, now that the one thing that Hurricane did do though was it it helped Atlanta later in the year because the Falcons are going to have to face Tampa at home coming off a bye. Not anymore. And playing Seattle the week before on Monday night. So now, you know, that's still going to be tough having to go cross country and then come back on a short week, but at least Tampa's not coming off a bye for that game. Yeah, that'll help the Falcons out for sure. But th- this team, you know, a lot of people thought they'd have that Super Bowl hangover. And look, get the first game wasn't great, but when you start on the road and, and the Bears – defense played very well against Atlanta and they were able to run the ball pretty well you know I I don't necessarily think you buy a whole lot into that I think you have to look at more the sum of of the results that that come and I just think that through the first two games you know this 2-0 and team doesn't look like they've really succumbed to any sort of Super Bowl no. hangover well I mean even last year it's not like it, outside of the the Rams game and the 49ers game I mean a lot of those games weren't easy and um and so yeah they went on the road and they won a tough game on the road that was a good win and um I don't think that was supposed to be an easy game but then they open up at home and they drill the Packers and everyone starts to feel a little bit uh a little bit better about things I think another important thing though about that Green Bay game was that they did build a big lead in it and that's where all of a sudden you could start getting haunted by the memories of what happened in the Super Bowl 
And uh, so for Atlanta to hang on and win that game, I'm just glad we're not going to have to deal with a whole season of like, is this team going to be able to overcome? They've got a big lead. Are they going to be able to hang on to it now? Because the thing about Atlanta this year is they've got a good team. So chances are, I mean, maybe they will have a number of games this season where they have big leads. And it'd be nice if that didn't become, you know, or just, you know, remain a talking point all year. Every time Atlanta had a big lead. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> here we yeah. go let's just hope that that uh they can hold on to some of those leads put teams away early and then hold on to it because yeah nobody wants to go down that path if you're an Atlanta fan the game coming up this weekend is interesting because the Lions at 2-0 and 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 Matthew Stafford signing that huge contract extension in the offseason and I think a lot of people were kind of not necessarily high on that extension for him just because you know what have the Lions really done but I'll say this I mean Matthew Stafford is is worth every penny that team overall has not been great and even without Calvin Johnson what he did last season getting that team into the playoffs was extremely impressive yeah well I mean that's to me that's what Matthew Stafford has uh, done that Lions franchise has been to the playoffs in the Super Bowl era a total of nine times and they've been there three times in the last I think six years or I mean basically they've been three times since Matthew Stafford became their starting quarterback so a third of their all-time playoff appearances have come uh, after drafting Matthew Stafford. So, yeah, they haven't won a playoff game yet, but the Detroit Lions in its history have won one. And so it's, uh, you know, it'd be different if he was quarterbacking some other franchise, but he's the quarterback of the Lions. And being a franchise that saw Barry Sanders retire prematurely, uh, saw Calvin Johnson suddenly retire, what are they going to do all of a sudden just let Matthew Stafford leave them too? I mean, if you're a Lions fan, that's. I mean, you've seen these superstar players that have come to your team and they've just they've ended up leaving way too soon. And mm-hmm. I don't think that uh, anyone wanted to see that happen with Stafford. No, absolutely not. So uh, going to be a tough test for Atlanta this weekend, uh, no question. But the Falcons are the road favorite. There's a lot of road dogs in the NFL this weekend. Yeah, because there's a lot of bad teams in the I NFL. I mean, there's a lot of home dogs, excuse me, in the NFL this weekend, uh, which is kind of bizarre. But hopefully the Falcons get the job done. Now – I wanted to kind of finish up the podcast today, got about five minutes or so, kind of looking at the NFL and college football both, kind of what have been your biggest surprises so far, like in, in those realms, you know, you can don't have to necessarily do it in any sort of order, but just. Well, I'll say in college, uh, a surprising team in a good way, and there are a number of them, but for me, my number one one is Clemson. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Clemson's done the last two weeks, they, to me, they're the number one team in the country to beat Auburn in a low-scoring slugfest, and then to go to Louisville the very next week. They made them look bad. Yeah, and hammer the team with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner so they can win a game however it needs to be won. And to be sitting here right now asking myself, are they better this year without Deshaun Watson? And some defensive players that went to the draft too. Yeah, I mean, I I think the answer is yes, and I can't believe that, uh, you know, but just to even be asking the question, I can't believe it's happening. Because I think Clemson, to me, is the big surprise in a good way. The bad way, it's Baylor. Like, I, I didn't think they'd be good or anything, or but I didn't also see the rebuild with Matt Rule being lose to Liberty in San Antonio bad. Yeah. yeah, that's not that great. Getting back to Clemson for a second, I just wanted to say that they have officially, like, if you didn't think they were before, and if you didn't think they were before, you haven't been watching, but officially now we can say that is not a rebuild team. They're a reload team, and yes. they have been doing that the past few seasons. Yeah. Again, like I said, right now, I mean, they're, to me, I don't, they're the number one team in the country the last two weeks, what they've done to, to beat Auburn 14 to six, sack them 11 times, and then to basically handle the reigning Heisman trophy winner who had prior to Saturday night, 
reemerged, I think, as the favorite for the Heisman Trophy with the what he had done in his first two games. Yeah, so we will uh, we'll see what ends up happening. I think in terms of the surprises in college football, I do agree with you that Clemson has certainly been one. I'll even throw out Mississippi State too. I mean, I, you know, they have uh, thoroughly impressed. I mean, uh, some people thought that that uh, game at Louisiana Tech that they had to play might be a little bit of a trap, you know, going to Ruston, Louisiana, but they easily handled them. And then for what they did to LSU still, regardless of how we think LSU is, maybe a little overrated, maybe a little overhyped, it's still impressive to do that to a team that historically you have not been able to do that. No, I liked Mississippi State to win last week's game, um, and I definitely liked the touchdown they were catching at home, but mm-hmm. I didn't see 37-7. to No, absolutely not. So uh, that's kind of how I see things in the uh, college ranks. In the NFL – a surprise in a bad way has definitely been just not just one team. It's been a bunch of different teams, but the way that the Indianapolis Colts have handled this entire Andrew Luck situation has been laughable. And you look at the, I mean, you have the usual suspects of bad teams. The Browns aren't very good. The um, the Jets aren't very good. But for the Colts to have, have just completely falling apart and I mean it shows you how valuable Andrew Luck was just because Scott Tolzien Jacoby Brissett haven't been able to do anything so that's been a, a surprise on the bad end another surprise on the bad end the Bengals they have just been atrocious and Andy Dalton uh, this experiment is over I mean he's he just can't do anything on he can't move that team up and down the field on offense and the only time they can is when A.J. Green is jumping up and making catches in triple coverage uh, they've scored nine points this year and drafted a wide receiver with the 10th overall pick of the draft, Ross out of Washington. And they have A.J. Green, who would be considered amongst the, the top 10 player, top five players in the league at his position. If I'm A.J. Green, receiver. I'm demanding a trade. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really bad. I mean, there are two teams right now in the NFL that still haven't scored a touchdown. The Niners haven't scored a touchdown yet either. Uh, and then there's a couple, I guess, that have only scored uh, scored one. So the Bengals would be, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that they're that bad. Another team I'm surprised... Uh, looks as bad as they do I think the Saints right now are a bottom five team and that's been a, a team that at least is at their worst have been finishing like seven and nine uh, where you know you've played the Saints and they've still had Drew Brees I don't think you've ever looked at them as being just a completely horrible team right but right now they've their opponents have had 19 drives against them and they've scored on 13 of them and yeah they played the Patriots last week but the Vikings are who they played the first game of the season but that defense is awful uh, so I'm surprised at how bad they are. I've got them in my bottom five right now. All right, that'll wrap things up on this edition of the crossover. We'll come back next week, hopefully, with the Georgia Bulldogs at 4-0 and and feeling really, really good about the rest of this season. So for Chris Brain, I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here every week on 960theref.com. It's the crossover. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.